Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas and Caballeros. Welcome back to another edition of Living Room Radio. I'm your host, Dave Duenis. With my co-host, as always, the milk car. Uh, we're still missing Kenny. Kenny should actually be back uh, next week. I think that's what it, that's the plan, next week or the following week. Uh, he's just getting it situated going still. That computer, man. He's got one of those, like, Terminator yeah. computers. So, you know, it's just uh, he's got to put everything back together. And uh, he was explaining it to me, a milk car, but I was just like – you know when you somebody starts talking to you about something, but you don't want to sound dumb or look dumb, so you're just like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That, I've had that problem before, thing, and I was just like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> I've never had I've never had his problem. I'm on a regular laptop. His PC is like half the size of his of his living room, so he's dealing with a whole <laughs> yeah. extra level of of computer stuff. But I yeah. I do miss I do miss Kenny. I do too, man. I think a lot of us, actually, a lot of our listeners miss Kenny, and they're just like, man, tell us the truth already, that you, he's, not, he's never going to come back. It, it, actually, that's not even true. <laughs> I do speak to him every week, man. And uh, yeah, like he's, he's yeah. like, dude, I miss coming on. But, you know, because of what's going on in New York, and New York really got that major hit from the COVID and stuff. And, uh, you know, you guys yeah. were actually the first ones to go in quarantine, and just so much stuff was yep. going so fast that that everybody had to basically rearrange their life and their living. So, you know, Kenny was one of those men where he just had to basically kind of, cause he got, you know, he lives with his brother and he's got a roommate. So, you know, now everybody yeah. is, is in one spot. So the privacy yeah. was really not there and, and he had to respect everybody else's privacy. That's why you're not seeing Kenny or hearing Kenny on the show because of the, of, of the, the time situation um, you know, remember that old saying, hashtag blame Bob, you know, Bob Aram, blame Bob yeah. Aram. I, hashtag blame COVID, why Kenny is not on the show with us right now. Yep, it's, you can blame COVID. And it's been, a, it's been affecting all of us. It's affecting me right now. We're trying to figure out what the hell's going on with the school situation here in New York. I mean, we're yeah. only a, a couple weeks away and like, my school in particular, like there's no plan. They haven't worked with the teachers. It's it's a whole hot mess. Oh man, the whole country's a whole hot mess right now. I mean, so many things are going on. Um, I don't know when things are going to. I don't know when things are going going to go back to normal. I even I I made the prediction like a lot of folks, and I even think yourself, and you know anybody with a, with a brain had said that. You know, things are not going to go back to normal. I don't see any of anything going back to normal, even with sports until maybe mid or late of uh, 2021. I'm a Debbie Downer. I know that. But I'm a realist. And the way I'm looking at things is it's, it's going to take some time because the fact that we're so divided at the moment, this country is so divided. There's so many things. Everybody wants to be right. Nobody wants to sit down and have a conversation. And that's pretty much what it is. I wish we could sit down, though, on no car. And our listeners, I wish I could sit down with Glenn, um, uh, with Glenn Fieldman, Frank Labardi, and, and Don Trella about their scorecard 
for the WBA Interim Lightweight Championship fight that was on Showtime between Rolando Romero and Jackson Manez. I mean, I don't know about you. Uh, I hate when we automatically start jumping up and down and start calling robbery, but this is not one of those where I'm like hesitant to say this was a robbery. I saw a kid clearly outbox somebody we kind of knew that was limited, you know, that has been considered a power puncher, um, doesn't really have a lot of footwork, doesn't have a jab, is basically what you see is what you're going to get. And uh, Rowley didn't disappoint in that aspect. He came out with a game plan that he always used, whether he's sparring you or he's trying to come on the come up. That's who he is. But we had a boxer that understood what he was going to face. We had a boxer that understood that he was going to have problems with somebody that would take a half step back, make you miss, and then make you pay. That's what Jackson was doing to Rowley. Rowley never made an adjustment. He did the exact same thing over and over. It was like deja vu. It was Groundhog Day for himself because good thing for him, Jackson keeps seeing exactly what's going to come at him. He knew that, you know what, I can either step forward, crowd uh, Rowley's punches, and it was, his punches were going to go around my neck or take a half step or take a step to the side, and all he was going to hit was air, and I'm going to be able to counter punch. I saw a guy, Rowley, get out box, get out smart, but for some reason, these three judges of Mokar didn't see what I saw and what a lot of other folks that are watching Saturday Night Showtime, the same thing. What was I missing, man? Uh, I guess you didn't have a fever and uh, severe symptoms of COVID because I guess they were testing the boxers and the trainers for COVID, but somebody forgot to test the judges. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what they were watching. Uh, they Clearly had a high fever. You know, they probably had the runs. So clearly they were really distracted. It was. Uh... I lost it here, Milkar. You fell out for a minute. Um, check out your, your feed. Uh, I don't know what happened there. You know. Hopefully we'll get a milk car back on. Uh, I don't know what happened. You know, going back with these judges, man, and, and I've always said this, you know, um, the cleaner punches, who's got ring generalship, who's controlling the fight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I thought clearly that Jackson was doing all of that. What I saw really was uh, uh, Romero – committed to his style, which you got to give kudos to because he never gave up and swinging for the fences and trying to land something big. He tried, he, you know, he tried to knock the guy's head off and stuff, you know, and then you would go back and you hear his statement saying that you can't knock out a guy that doesn't want to get knocked out, but your job is to create that. Your job is to cut the ring off. Your job is to make the ring small. Your job is to push the boxer back. Your job is to blind him and, and make him believe is that he's got nowhere to go and he's going to have to vert into standing and trading with you. Um, sorry. I got to text uh, a milk car and let him know what's going on. Um, that's, that was Rowley's job, right? For him to think that the, the other guy's supposed to do exactly what he's looking for, it's, it's almost like, did you, you know, I know we started late in boxing, but you would get the sense that you know you're supposed to work towards the KO. It's not going to be given to you, right? You know, and then, so you sit back and you're like, 
it's almost as if the 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 train I mean uh, the judges uh, were in sync with what Roney was thinking, right? That that they saw a guy that didn't want to get knocked out, which mean in turn that they saw a guy that wasn't doing anything um, significant enough to give them give him uh, you know the right score or the round when he really honestly controlled that fight, right? So I sit there and I just get puzzled and I always wonder, like, again, it's one of those rants that you got to have, but you know there's never going to be a solution to it because it's the commissions and the promoters don't seem that they don't seem to be bothered with these type of scorecards. Again, these scorecards, I mean, it was 116-112, 118-110, which was crazy, and 115-113. Now, some rounds you could have said they were pretty close, but God, I mean, there was just so many. Again, I go back and I, you know, I watched the fight twice, and I was like, the first time I was like, did I miss something? Like, you know, what what did I not see? I went back and I'm like, I'm seeing the same shit that I watched earlier, and the same stuff that I was picking, saying, yeah, Jackson is doing everything right, and it's kind of discouraging for anybody else that is the underdog that nobody knew about. First off, you know. uh, Romero was a guy that everybody was excited to see, has a lot of promising and stuff. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I mean, we're supposed to be fair. There's supposed to be balance, right? And that fair and balance is that's why we have the three judges to look out from the outside and call the fight correctly. We just don't ever get that in boxing. So I'm, that? On my, I'm, on my, I'm in here on my phone now, and I, what happened won't happen again. But I'll ask you right here, Dave. Uh, yeah. Clean punching. Who who won that? I thought Manez won with clean punching. I I, I don't see. I saw maybe out of twelve rounds, maybe six plus shots, but they were still questionable. All right, effective aggression. Emphasis okay. on the word effective. I mean, if you're gonna Ooh. lean. I would go with Rolly, but it wasn't effective. I mean, he was the aggressor. Well, that's the thing. It wasn't effective, right? It wasn't effective, right. I didn't think it was effective. And then uh, who was dictating the pace of the fight? So that's called ring generalship. Who's doing that? I thought thought Jackson was having the ring generalship. I thought he was able to do what he wanted. I thought he was forcing uh, Rolly to do, you know, uh, you know, Forcing Rolly to miss and make him pay. You know, it wasn't like he was making a miss and then he was taking a step back and then trying to reset himself and throw the punches. You know what I mean? Like, you know, then look for his punches. He knew what he was doing. He knew that Rolly was going to be, uh, you know, that he was going to be the aggressor. He knew that he was going to telegraph his punches and he knew that he was going to be able to, to, to slip it and counterpunch it. To me, that was ring generalship and to me, he controlled the fight, the rounds. All right. All right. And lastly, and this is all least, in this case, defense. Who took defense? I, I would have to go with the kid again, Jackson. Well, there you go. So, I mean, keep, keep doing the majority of what we consider to be the, the criteria for uh, winning a round. And, unfortunately, this has always been the case, at, at least as long as I've been watching boxing, that defensive fighters don't get credit for what they do in the ring. They don't get credit. No. Seldomly, unless it's like a Floyd Mayweather or a, a Andre Ward, but they don't get credit right. for it, and you know they they end up on the bad 
bandit of a lot of decisions. It kind of took me back to like Glenn Cough Johnson's story a little bit, where you know he was going to all these people's backyards, losing all these all these decisions, and then he really didn't uh, start winning fights against top top tier opponents until he adopted an aggressive style. And it's unfortunate, but you know defensive fighters just do not get the kind of credit that they deserve. Well, I'll tell you this. Defensive fighters that are not known, that don't have the pedigree, like a gold medalist as Andre Ward, or, you know, the recognition like Floyd Mayweather. I mean, Floyd didn't come off like that in the beginning of his career. He was an aggressive featherweight. He was, you know, somewhat of a knockout artist with hand speed, but with a lot of, a lot of boxing skills, you know. That's how he started, pretty boy Floyd. Then he kind of reverted. The, you know, the, the more weight he went up, the more defensive-minded he, be, he became. So, you know, he wasn't named by that time. It's sad to see that these, these, these kids that come with, with the defense mind that and, – and here's the thing about this kid, Jackson. His defense, though, was not running the way Roley was trying to portray him, like saying, oh, you know, you can't knock at a guy that doesn't want to be – I mean, the guy was there. You know, he used the ring effectively, you know, when he needed to – if his legs were, were too close or let's say he had to reset himself, he would step out, roll out, and then reset. It wasn't like he took a long time. You didn't see him jog around the ring and then reset. He was there, to, he was there all the time. And that's why uh, Roley was having a difficult time hitting him or, let's say, throwing combinations. You know, it wasn't like Roley was throwing five, six punches at a time. He was throwing for the fences at the guy. He just couldn't land a punch. You know, and, and I think that's what's discouraging. You see a defense guy like that that went out there and fought a beautiful plan and was in front of him and making him pay every time he swung at the fence, you know, to not, to get, to not even get the decision or not even have a, 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 a scorecard that was even close to saying that we, could, that we can argue, yeah, that some rounds were close. You know, it could have, won, it could have swung there either way. I mean, he didn't even get that. There was, there was nothing there that the judges basically – what the judges basically said was, Roley, you're right. This guy ran. He wasn't there to fight. Uh, he was just there to be a warm body. or He, he, he just came to collect the check. It, it was terrible, man. And that's, to me, that's just really shitty. And it's really shitty that these judges are never accountable for taking away somebody that comes here to the States and fights really hard, comes with a game plan, okay, and, 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 and comes in and does exactly what he was supposed to do because this is what his trainer, Garcia, told him what to do. And it gets all taken away from you because you don't know who he is. And you know the more of the house name and the, the more potential of, of maybe uh, of getting a bigger fight is going to be Romero. It's kind of bullshit. It's, you know, the politics getting away with it, of it. And, it and, and, and I agree with some fans. It hurts the sport. It's not going to stop us from watching the fucking sport. It hurts the sport. The unfortunate thing, too, is, you know, growing up watching, I always hear fighters from the U.S. complaining about going to Germany and other places to get uh, a fair shake in a a fight. And they were obviously referring to the scoring and judges. Well, really, let's be a little bit introspective here. How many of us actually think that fighters from outside the United States believe that the United States is fair when it comes to scoring fights, especially for international fighters? It almost never is. If you're just going to be honest about it. 
you know, I'm, I'm watching the highlight reel that Showtime put together of this of this of this uh, fight. You know, just a snippet of it. But I mean, the combination that they show Romero landing. I mean, it was one clean shot, and it wasn't really that clean because he was kind of uh, turning away from it defensively. And every other shot was caught on the gloves. I mean, and that's the best clip that they could put together to show that this guy won the fight. I mean, it it it, it does get angry. Um, because, you know, anyone who's worked hard to do something and had that taken away from them or not recognized knows 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 that feeling. And you can only imagine what it's coming from poor Caribbean and Latin American countries getting on the plane hoping that a, a fight like this is going to sh- change the, their lives, the lives of their families, doing everything that they're supposed to do only to, you know, walk away uh, having been robbed, and I do agree with you, David. There, there, it was a robbery, so we shouldn't shy away from using that word. Yeah, you, you know, we always want to be careful using that word, overusing that word, just because the fact that when there is something that is an, a robbery, which which this kid got. I mean, he was robbed in every aspect. He was robbed from from a a, a, a win, a title. You know, um, he was the judges, all three of them didn't even give the kid a chance, you know. In, in one of our Leaving the Ring emails, somebody was asking me um, about Oscar De La Hoya jumping in the loop, saying that as a fighter, it's really, really embarrassing, um, you know, that that the, the behavior that Roley kind of showed, the, the, the way he just kind of like, hey, you know, I won – the, the, you know, and when Showtime asked, which I thought was great, I don't know what you guys thought about it, but I thought it was phenomenal that Showtime, you know, stepped up and didn't kind of fall into the like, hey, you won the fight. They called them out and they're like, look, we put it out in the polls and the, 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 the viewers pointed out, you lost this fight. And he just like shrugged it off. Like, the, you know, he did almost like a Calista Shields, you know, like uh, fans don't know what they're watching. I won that fight. But I thought it was brilliant that Oscar jumped in the mix and basically, in my opinion, put the pressure on him by saying, you know, like you should never bring Ryan Garcia into your conversations ever again. And the reason I say that is because, to me, that puts pressure on, 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 on Romero to give that kid a rematch, deserving. That, 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 that's a very controversial, questionable win. A lot of us are calling that a gift. To me, that was a gift that he got because in my eyes, among a lot of other people's eyes, he didn't win that fight. So I give uh, Oscar kudos for doing that because he has, there, he's got no horse in, in, in that race between those two fighters, only with his fighter. But I think that that helps out to get in the head of, 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 of Romero by clearing that up because a great champion, you know, even with Floyd Mayweather, there's a lot of folks that don't like Floyd. With the Madonna fight, with the Castillo fight, what did he do? He gave rematches. He gave him a rematch. He immediately yep. gave him a rematch and said, hey, okay, you guys thought it was questionable, controversial? I'm going to clean that up. And what he did he did? a shutout. That's what Roney needs. He's with a TMT. That needs to be a traditional thing from the TMT team then. They need to press for that. They need to make their fighters do exactly what the boss man used to do in his career when he was active, which is it's questionable, it's controversial. Let me erase that. Let me clear that out of your head by giving this guy that you feel beat me another run at the title. That should be 
automatic from from Romero. And I would like to see that. Yeah, it, it should happen. Unfortunately, here in the United States, like in places like Germany, we don't actually bring in referees, you know, and neutral judges. You know, you, you watch fights that take place overseas. And you, I used to hear when I was growing up names like Stanley Christodoulou from South Africa. You know, there's obviously Pavon, the referee, that would go out to various European and other locations, Luis Pavon. That doesn't happen in the United States. It's very rare even for um, judges and referees from outside of a state to officiate or, or judge a fight in places like Nevada and New York. So, you know, what can be done? It's a question that you asked early on, Dave. I think we really have to bring in a fourth judge, and I think that fourth judge should be watching the video feed. Um, you know, uh, that's one thing. I think you look at other sports and what they're doing using technology, um, boxing try to figure out a way to to to, to do that. And it, it's all it's all competition area compared to a football field or even a tennis court or a basketball court. You know, they, they have to figure out how to use the technology that's already there to, to help with the scoring of fights. I agree, man. And um, just really quick uh, uh, for a milk car, your your phone's breaking up really, really bad. It's hard to hear what you're saying. So um, I apologize to everybody up there in the chat room saying they can't hear a milk car really good because it's breaking up. Oh no. Um, you know, you know. I mean, there's so many different ways we could fix the judging. You know, I think uh, you know a lot, even fight fans have great ideas. I think one idea for me would be that a judge doesn't know what fight they're going to be assigned to until that exact moment when the fighters are doing the ring walk. I think that's when they should be assigned and told. Um, I think also they, you know, that that their their history of how they judge fights should be looked at and logged. If it's a questionable, you know, scorecard, that should automatically be logged in a red flag. You know, to me, there should be like a certain amount of marks on your record that that a fighter's team could look. Just like, you know, a fighter's team is able to, to see the ref and question whether or not they want that ref because they might feel that there's some bias towards them and they say no to that ref. I think the team, every team should have the right to pick their jury, which would be the judges in order for them to say, I'm comfortable with the, you know, with the competence of this judge, because let's be honest here. These, these judges more and more every, I mean, I I say this on Twitter all the time. If you follow me on, on, on my, on Twitter, you'll see me. It's, it's not boxing until a judge fucks up the night. It's never boxing until one of these judges give you an outrage, an outrageous score on their card. Or they just completely, you know, fuck the night up but not giving it to the right guy. And again, I say loosely robbery. I hate that word robbery because sometimes, you know, the rounds could be very questionable. They could be debatable. But when it comes kind of clear with this kid, this kid, 
that beat Roly. I mean, I don't think anybody, unless you're like a Roly fan and you're blind, you know, and you don't watch boxing, you only watch him fight, then yeah, you're going to be on his side, okay, if you're on the Romero team. But a real fight fan, a real fight fan who watches the sport and watches every fight could sit back and automatically see it. Like, this is just bullshit. Yeah, 100%. Hopefully you can hear me clearer now. It was storming here pretty hard the last five minutes or so, and I had to move. Can you hear me okay, Dave? Yeah, I actually can hear you really good. Yeah, no, you know what? It was, uh, um, shit, it was yesterday, I think, in the middle of the night. It was blazing hot over here, you know. Yeah. Um, it was freaking hot over here in, in, in Northern California, and then we had storm and rain and really weird, man. Anyways, hey, let's move on real quick. On that Showtime card, we did have a heavyweight fight. Otto Wallen, uh, who fought Travis Kaufman. Um, Whalen went out there. Uh, dude, it was so one-sided. Kaufman, he hurt his uh, shoulder. Um, but really, I didn't even see him in the fight. I mean, I, 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 you know, I've never been – I don't know about you, but I've never been a, a, a Kaufman fan. I've never really thought much of him. You know what I mean? I thought – I've always thought he had a great – you know, he's always had a great mouthpiece, but his mouthpiece has never really backed up his boxing skill. So, you know, I didn't really think he was going to do much. And I know he's been threatening that I'm going to retire if I, if I lose another fight. I think you should retire, regardless of whatever it was your shoulder or whatever. I honestly, I didn't see, I didn't give him one round. I don't know about you. I didn't see Crawford. I didn't give him a round. Fight. I'm sorry, but what does his shoulder have to do with the shape that he came in at? I mean, He's he was grossly out of shape. I mean, you, I just, I'm sorry, but when a pro athlete, quote unquote, looks that way, uh, right. I have a very tough time respecting them. And because they didn't put in the work to get themselves ready to fight. You know, I used to box as an amateur myself. It's been at least 15 years now. I don't look anything close to that. I'm just a, a, a public school teacher that works out at the gym, and you put me beside him and you think that I was a pro athlete. I mean, it, it's, it's terrible. Uh, the fact that he was talking about retirement only goes to show how much his mind was committed to competing in this fight. And like you, I didn't, I didn't score it a, a single round. Unfortunately for me, as a fan, what I was actually hoping for was to kind of get a look at Waleen again because I didn't really get that great of an of a opportunity to analyze him with the Fury fight because most of the time we were watching that fight, we were focused on Fury's cut. So I think right. we as fans and, and Waleen himself have lost an opportunity to really get a good look at where Waleen is. Back-to-back fights where there's been some kind of a distraction. Last time it was Fury's cut. This time it was Waleen's belly. Uh, sorry, the, uh, it's Kaufman's belly. Right. You know, the thing with, with, with Waleen is that, I don't know. I don't even know it's still where to rate him at, to tell you the truth. I mean, because of his performance so one-sided, and Kaufman is just not that good, you know. Um, well, like I said, his, his, his biggest trait in his skill it was his mouthpiece. Other than that, I was never really impressed by him and what he's done in the ring, okay? I mean, he's a heavyweight, but there's nothing that stands out that made me go like, oh, this, this guy's got something there. 
that's going to impress everybody or shake up the heavyweight division. There's never been there. Nothing like that. With, I mean, I'll tell you what I need, need, need the same to thing. What? Yeah, no, well, no, I mean, what I would have needed to see uh, David from Waleen clearly would have been some kind of a vicious, brutal knockout. And unfortunately, right. he didn't deliver that. So he's left me with more questions and answers after after Saturday's fight. I now, the agree. thing is for me, the question I have for you, are you interested in seeing Waleen again? I'm interested in seeing him. I'm going to tell you why I'm interested in seeing him again. Because Waleen still showed that he's a far more superior boxer, that he was able to control Kaufman, not let him in the fight. Because if he was just this other ordinary guy, Kaufman could have got into the fight and could have made it a fight, could have made it an ugly fight, because that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to get in the pocket, get in the chest of Waleen, and Wally would never let him do that because of that jab. The thing is that what we got from the Fury fight was that Fury is just a much better fighter and dug deeper than Waleen. We need to see that from Waleen. What he needs to do, in my opinion, in the next, you know, runaround, if he, get, you know, if he gets back on, on, on television, which he would because he is with top rank, is to be tested to a point that we're going to see sudden dog in him. Because in order to really be a contender in this heavyweight division of all the guys that you see right now in the division, going from, you know, White, Pavlovian, uh, 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 Ruiz, uh, Fury, Wilder, even Ortiz, you know, who's been out of the scene for a minute, but, you know, Parker, all these guys, is that they got some dog in them. They're willing to fight. Anthony, you know, Joshua Anthony, they all got some dog in them. They're willing to fight. With Waleen, we saw a guy that was comfortable of just breaking down their opponent. And when, really, honestly, let me ask you this. And anybody out there that's listening right now, at any time, did you feel Waleen could have stopped him if he would have, you know, pressed a little bit more down on the gap to take a Kaufman out? I did. I thought, hey, if he just stepped it up and decided to throw some right hands and uppercuts and decided to let his hands go, there could have been a strong possibility that the shoulder injury – wouldn't have stopped it. It would have been Waleen's combinations. Yeah, especially a little bit more body punching and, like you said, volume punching. You know, I'm thinking of guys that I might pair him with and maybe a guy like Carlos Takam, who's signed the top rank as well and is in the same stable. Um, yes. I need to see him beat a guy like that convincingly before I, I really discuss Waleen with the likes of Joshua Fury, uh even guys like uh, Andy Ruiz, Joseph Parker, and, and those kind of guys. Definitely not even a Dylan White, Dylan White, who, who fights this weekend. And I know we're going to talk about that later with, with Povetkin. You know who I'd like to see Waleen go in with, and I think it's great because they just signed on with Top Rank, is um, the Nigerian puncher, um, what's his name? F.A. Ajagba. Ajagba. I think yeah, that would that be good. Would be a, that's a good a one. I like that. Yes. I like a great that. For both of them. Yeah, that 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 forget Takam. That's the fight we should see. That's the fight we should see. I agree. Not that Waleen is what makes the heavyweight so fun. Like Andrew Reeves, he's a spoiler. I, I think it could be just because he could box. I mean, you can I mean, like I said, there's questions there. Like I want to see. We know he can box. We know he can move. For his size, he moves really well. I mean, there's no question about that. Like I said, with, with the Kaufman fight with Travis, we showed, he showed us that 
this guy that was trying to rough him and, 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 and really make it into an ugly fight, make it his fight, he wasn't allowing that because he jabbed. Like, and it's almost natural for him, which I really love to see when a fighter does it. This is one thing when you know it becomes very natural, that they use the jab so much, even in sparring, hitting the heavy bag, the double end bag, is that after he take a step back to, make, to create space for himself and spots for him to take some breath, he jabbed. They're not very stiff jabs, but he jabbed to let the other guy, you know, kind of be hesitant to try to walk back in, you know. And that's a very smart, intelligent way of creating distance and time for you to get a breather. He did a lot of that, you know. But, again, I'd like to see what he, do, what he does next with, uh, next with another big guy. And, like I said, with a Nigerian puncher, I think that would be a good mix-up to see where the radar we could put these guys at in the heavyweight division. Yeah, again, I think a great matchup, David. Yeah, oh, man. I mean, I don't think we'll see it this year, which is rightfully so. You know, I think that, that uh, um, why does his name keep falling out of my head? You know, I, I have it right there, the Nigerian kid. Um, his last, remind me his last name again. Ajabo, a right? Yeah. Ajaba. So, you know, I don't see him and, and, and Waling getting in this year. I think Ajaba's going to have a fight, you know, kind of like a, a tune-up fight for him, a debut fight with Top Rank, which is always smart. Top Rank does that all the time just to kind of get you, get you, get the, the ESPN um, viewers kind of familiar with because he was on PBC and everything. So I think that's a great way. I, I could see this happening in the summer of 2021, of kind of figuring out what they're going to do with those two guys, because I think that would be a great way of introducing them into kind of the contendership for the heavyweight division. The winner of those two, to me, would kind of get them a step closer of getting a more significant fight of now kind of putting them under that contender category. Yeah. And they both both need that kind of a step up. Absolutely. Now, I know you wanted to talk about Warren and Hearns working together, man. Tell us a little bit about that. What do you think? Well, I think COVID is forced in the U.K., or at least what Warren is, is, is advocating for, more domestic fights, because it's become difficult to fly opponents in, and it's become difficult to send fighters out to places like the United States or other international locations to uh, to, to fight in, in these in these matches, so he's actually and he meaning Frank Warren has actually proposed a, a partnership between BT Sport on one side and Sky Sports on the other, which are kind of like what HBO and Showtime used to be over here in the U.S. That's kind of their situation there in England, and uh, obviously Matchroom Sport and uh, Queensbury Promotion. So a bunch of different domestic fights. Uh, the, the biggest ones being obviously Fury and uh, AJ, and uh, another one being uh, White and uh, Daniel Dubois, uh, and a bunch of other fights to kind of take us in to the end of the year and into next year because we honestly don't know what's going on with, with the future of, of, of COVID. We don't know when we're going to get a vaccine. And um, Right now, they've both been staging these shows, Eddie Hearn in his backyard and Frank Warren in the BT studios. 
So right. I personally think it's a good idea out there. The question I have for you, David, is whether or not you think that kind of a thing could work here in the U.S. between between the promoters, let's say, and like ESPN and DAZN. Well, what do you think? No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, look, I think what Bob, and Bob has always shown his colors, and Bob is not one of those to hide who he is. He's, he's pretty upfront. Um, you know, the writing on the wall with him has always been is I'm going to use all my resources before I revert in to say I'm going to play with other guys in the sandbox. He's a business guy. And he's in the promoter seat. You know, uh, Bob, Bob understands the business. Bob understands that he doesn't need the other guy just yet. Unless you're going to bring something very lucrative. Something so lucrative where he gets the bigger half of the pie, then you're going to get his ears to raise up. But at the moment, I just don't see that. You know what I mean? Think about this. The zone doesn't even, it's not even in the same amount of households. I don't think, I could be wrong, but I highly doubt that I'm going to be wrong on this. But the zone is not even in the same amount of households as ESPN is. So why would Bob They're definitely not in the same number of households as ESPN. I don't know what, what the... The numbers are between them and ESPN Plus, though. But, but there's no fights on ESPN Plus. And, and it's a That's smart true. thing. Where, you know, I didn't like it, to tell you the truth, because I'm paying for it. You know, I was paying for the Plus. But it's smart that he said, you know what, let's stop putting them on ESPN Plus. Because of the COVID lockdown and quarantine, put them all back on ESPN, regular ESPN. It's smart, because more people are going to watch that, whereas – before the before the whole COVID nineteen uh, uh, situation, everybody was on the run. Everybody was living their daily lives. A lot of folks weren't staying home on Saturday nights. You know they were. Well, you also had a lot more sports like college basketball, college football. You know, you name exactly. it, it was on regular TV. Now, exactly. now we don't have all those options. They don't have that. Look at the the you know college uh, football right now. You know uh, uh, Lomachenko and Lopez. They're, they don't have to compete with that, so it's not going to go pay-per-view. It's going to go on regular ESPN October 17th. So I, I think that what Bob is looking at is like, look, if the zone had more to offer, that and and in, and in, and likewise with the business-wise of the pie, I think he would play ball. But at the moment, I don't think anybody can argue and say he needs them or he needs Golden Boy or or Hearn, or Al Heyman, or any of them at the moment. Because what he's doing, it's, he's, it's working. It may not be the greatest fights. We're not getting, like, these top A-list fights from ESPN, but he's getting paid. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Two more fights that I failed to mention that weren't supposed to uh, Eddie Hearn are Anthony Yard against Boazzi, which I think would be a good fight, and uh, Joe Joyce, uh, Derek Chisora. Um, not to mention the Williams-Andrade fight. Uh, so, you know, cross-promotions, but we'll see. Um, I think it's much more likely to happen in the U.K. than it is, like you just said, David, to happen in the U.S. I'm, I'm hoping it ends up happening in the U.K. myself. You know, like Fury and Wilder happened because there was a title on the line. You know, that's something that Bob understands and needs. Titles a titles in, in or you know every fighter wants a title that's their dream that's why they lace up gloves they they, they want to make history have the title especially the, the WBC okay but also 
it intrigues the fan because a casual fan would be like, oh, who's, who, who's fighting? Oh, these two heavyweights, the heavyweight champions of the world. Just that automatically, hearing the heavyweight champion of the world is, is, an, is an attraction for anyone. So Bob understands that, and that's why he's been in the business for 80s plus, you know what I mean, or whatever, how many years. I think the guy's like, what, 170 right now? You know, been in the business for like 90 years. <laughs> but he's been in the yeah, business. Yeah, he's, so, he's definitely getting up there. Yeah, I mean, I know for a fact I couldn't sit there and argue with him about what moves he's going to make about this certain fight because who am I? You know, I'm not even a baby in the game. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm still in, the, I'm still in my, dad, my dad's baby nuts and in his eyes. You're still in your nut, dad's nutsack to try, to try to, you know, come across and give me advice or tell me how to promote and run a promotional company. There's no way. So I see where he's going. It's frustrating as a fight fan. I'll tell you that. I get frustrated with the guy, you know, and I do say, I go like, dude, these were shitty fights. But to think that he's getting paid, and that's what, that's what it's all about. And business standpoint, it's about getting paid. Not just the promotional company and himself, but his fighters. They're all getting paid. They're all getting their money that, it, that ESPN has promised them and have locked down with ESPN, and that's the route. The only way you're going to intrigue him to play ball with anybody else is you've got to have something that intrigues him, which is either he gives a little bit more of the pie or your network's doing far much better and you can give his fighter far more exposure or there's titles on the line. Yeah. I think the only guy that he, that he has that like really is desperate and in need of an opponent like that, though, is, is Terrence Crawford. So mm. I think could kind of maybe figure out a way to do a cross-promotion with the PBC and, and get Crawford to fight with one of the welterweights and then maybe trade off that versus a couple at another weight class. But other than that, I, I, I agree with you, yeah. But see, that's, that's – here, here's the thing, Milkar. You're thinking like a fan that Crawford is in need of, 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 a, of this marquee opponent. Is he really in need? Because, I mean, either way, he's going to get paid. Bobber has him signed to a contract, and, and, and that contract stipulates that he's going to be on ESPN. So ESPN is already committed into the Crawford business. So whoever they get, Crawford's going to get a, a, a substantial amount of money that's already been put on black and white on a piece of paper. So Bob is delivering. I don't think it's like the music business. business. You know, you're never promised a certain amount. You're, you're promised X and O's, but the Y's and Z's and, 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 and everything else is, is – is a perk. You know what I mean? Like if, you're, if, if a record company comes to you and go, no car, I love the way you sing. You're a hip hop artist. You got the look. I'm going to produce you an album. We're going to put you up in the best studios. We're going to yeah. press you a, a, a cover album and you're going to do a music video. And you do all, they do, they do all of that, that they promise. Right. But then when you come to them, Hey, what am I going to get released? And they say, well, we, we did everything we said. We never said we were going to release your album. The same thing with Crawford. Yeah. You know what I mean? Crawford could go, hey, yeah. you, you know, I want to fight uh, uh, Spence. I want to fight Garcia. Bob could go, I never promised you any of that. And I never said I was going to go negotiate with Al Heyman. I promised you that you're going to get paid and that you're going to live fat and you're going to be on ESPN. And I've delivered. Yeah. Plain and simple. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You know? So if we, could, if we could turn back quick to the card, though, before we move on, David, I'd like to hear yeah. your thoughts on the Benavides um, fight, and specifically him coming 
overweight. What were your thoughts on that? You know, man, there was a lot. I mean, there was a lot that, that came in on Saturday after, you know, hearing and seeing Benavides, uh three pounds over on the, on the weight scale, which um, D-Style uh, covered very well on his channel and on his podcast. Um, yeah. You know, here's the, I, I was telling this to Brian Fogg, you know, and Brian watches the sport very closely. Um, used to be a journalist for leaving the ring and, uh, and he bets on fights, you know, so he's very committed and he pays, he plays very close attention. And he goes, he asked me, what do you think? You know, you just think that this kid just doesn't care. And I said, well, it could be two things. The COVID thing obviously has impacted in such a way that it, the access of gyms um, could be difficult. It, it really, it really kind of stops certain. And, I'm, and I talked about this, I think, that the, the last show that we did live. You know, it, 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 it really stops certain fighters to do certain routines or rituals that they've been used to because now they have to kind of, like, find another way of doing things, okay? That could be one, okay? That's an excuse. And I'm going to give you a couple excuses, okay? The second one is that maybe his body just couldn't sweat out the rest. Because your body could eventually just pop out and say, you got to remember, this kid was like 200-something pounds, and, and I think as a junior high kid. You know what I mean? I mean, he was not a... I've heard, he, I've heard he's lost upwards of 80 pounds to get to where he is right now. Right. You know what I mean? He's not a small guy. You know, and you could see that. It's not like he went into the Angul fight and he was chiseled. I mean, he, you could still see that there's baby fat on this guy. The third one is that he's not committed. After watching the fight, Amokar, I'm gonna, I'll ask you guys. Now, ask anybody else who wants to join in the chat room. If you want to call in, 347-215-7598. We can recap what we talked about a little bit on here. We do got a lot of stuff that we're trying to cover today, and we kind of dragged on a little bit too much on some of the topics because I wanted to run through a bunch of the Showtime stuff. But anyways, going back, what you guys saw against Angulu, the hand speed, the footwork, his movement, did that look like a guy that's not committed to his craft, Amilcar, do you think? Yeah, I, at least he wasn't committed to this fight. I mean, maybe he had trouble motivating himself to get up for this opponent. Um, personally, I don't like it when people show up overweight for fights. I yeah. honestly really don't like it when people show up for overweight for title fights. And, you know, I was thinking about this Sunday and, and in anticipation of speaking to you about it. I think that if a if a guy turns up overweight for a fight, that it should be a no decision for the guy that shows up overweight. And if the guy that doesn't show up overweight wins, it just becomes a win. I don't think it's enough anymore to just say to people, you know, yeah, you can go in and win the fight. You can pay a little bit of side money to your opponent, and we'll strip you. I don't really think that's enough anymore of a of a uh, you know of a of a, of a negative outcome, so to speak, for, for people. I think really that you've got to take people's victories away from them because it's honestly not a fair victory if someone's showing up overweight and another guy's killing himself to make weight. Yeah, I mean, I think the punishment of being stripped and the second time being stripped for cocaine use, the second one is not making weight. Nato, let, me, let me read this really quick on, on what Nato have put. Is Benavides falling into the Chavez Jr. territory, in your opinion, Amilcar? What do you think? I saw, 
I saw that too, and it it distracted me a bit mid-sentence when I saw it as well. Uh, We are kind of venturing into that territory. The only difference I'd say, though, is that I think that Benavides is a much more talented fighter than Chavez Jr. I think Chavez Jr. relied on his on his name, obviously, but I also think Chavez Jr. relied also on his chin. Um, and but one thing that they both do have, have in common is that they're very big for the weight class and they use their size as an advantage. So I definitely see that similarity there. But I do think that, that Benavides is a much more talented a boxer than Chavez Jr. I'm going to say this, because I know not to put that out on Twitter as well. And I, I was cracking up when I saw that. I was like, fuck, I hope not, bro. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I hope not. But, and I, and I think I know where Nala's going is because of the drug, the cocaine, and yeah. coming in the first time. And, 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 and Benavides said, look, this is the first time. I, and, I, I, you know, and I'm like, I'm trying to think, is it the first time? I think it is the first time, right? You know, I, if he does it again, then I'm going to say, yeah, he's in, he's, he's, starting to hike up the, the trail of Chavez Jr., you know, but skill level, like you were mentioning, Milkar, it's night and day. Like Benavides, there's no denying the kid is gifted. He looks very comfortable in there. Um, he looks very much in control. He could see the punches coming at him. Um, he opens up when he feels like it. He throws combinations when he decides to. When he wants to get aggressive, he does. Uh, I've always he's got a said great this. Dad. He can fight inside and outside. He, I mean, he's got all the tools. He knows yeah, how to fight big. He's the full package. You know, he is the full package. He's a valiant puncher. He's not the biggest puncher in the world, you know, which I would like to see him sit down more on his punches, but that's not him. He likes to throw volumes of punches. You know, he's like a, a he's a far much better version of a volume puncher than um, uh, Santa Cruz, you know? Yeah. Uh, he knows how to place his punches. He, you know, in a lot of ways, he's a scary 168. But I yeah, wonder how long he stay there at 168. If he can't shed these three pounds, and, you know, you got to give him the, his team the benefit of the doubt. They were saying, like, his dad immediately said, we're not going to go anywhere. We're staying at 168, which that is a smart thing to do because those were the, the – uh, and 168 is where the bigger fights for him at this moment, right? You know, you got yeah. uh, Caleb Plant, you know, uh, you know, you, you yeah. Callum Smith, you got uh, uh, Canelo, you know, all those guys. Okay, you got Ramirez, who's a free agent. So the big fights are there, obviously, right? So I'm giving him the benefit of doubt. I, I want to see what happens next. You know, the approach, uh, is this a wake-up call for him? This is the second time, dude, you've lost your title you know, without really losing a fight. And you look spectacular when you came out. That the disappointment to your fans was like, shit. You know, here's a guy with all the talent in the world. Uh, and like Nato right now is putting lack of discipline, rarely, if he ever gets better for any boxers. You're right. It really doesn't. We saw that with Andy Ruiz. Super talented guy. Super yeah. talented. But just the discipline department was half or half empty. I don't know how you want to look at it. Is Benavides think, in that yeah. category? I don't know. What do you think? Is he I getting think to that? This, this is a problem that's existed for as long as I've been watching boxing. Um, 
I don't know if you remember Kurt Johnson, the fighter from uh, Halifax or around Halifax in Nova Scotia, Canada, who's a heavyweight, super talented guy. He was supposed to fight um, Lennox Lewis at one point, but he just couldn't keep himself in shape, you know? Um, yeah. And, yeah, I, I, in fact, I think that the, the fight between, if I remember correctly, the fight between Vitaly Klitschko and Lennox Lewis happened because Kurt Johnson fell out of that fight and Vitaly replaced him at like the last minute. I'm, I'm thinking I'm getting that right. But I just remember him as another fighter who just, you know, couldn't keep himself in shape and his talent didn't take him uh, as far as he actually should have gone because his weight got in the way. So, I, like I said, I hope that's not the case with Benavides. But he's going to have to team up with maybe a dietitian or nutritionist or, or figure out his training. But like you, I'm also going to give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit because of right. COVID-19. And, you know, obviously that's thrown people out of whack. I don't know what conditions he was training under. He's probably totally different than what he's used to. So, yeah. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me add this. Let me add this really quick. Um, as us as fans, we were disappointed of seeing Benavides not make weight, lose his title on the scale, go out there, make a great performance, and look sharp, and, and look as dangerous as we all thought he, he is at the 168 division. But the fighters that are petitioned for the vacancy of the WBC, how happy are they, bro? You know what I mean? To see that he lost it on the scale, that they don't have to face him to get that title now. They can petition for it, fight somebody else because it's vacant to get the title with avoiding Benavides. I mean, Benavides, not only did he disappoint his fans, but he really cut his own legs off and getting these bigger fights because now there's a, there's a perfect reason that Canelo, Callum Smiths of the world, Caleb Plant, even B.J. Saunders in them could say, why am I going to fight him? He doesn't even have a title. Yeah, he's lost the bargaining chip. And one thing I would disagree with you on, David, is the fight wasn't 168 pounds, which is my, my biggest problem is with people turning up overweight is that it's not a fair fight. So, you know, I don't know what he would have had, what he would have looked like had he fought three pounds lower. Um, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, you, you fought at one point. You know, losing weight to make a to make an amateur tournament it's not easy. Right. And. Um, you know, the, those last pounds that are always, always the ones that hurt the most. So it's 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 tough. I mean, he he shot himself in the foot like Plaxico Burris. Yeah, he certainly did, man. You know, so we're going to see what the WBC is saying, that they're going to go into the board and, and now negotiate or talk about who's going to have the opportunity of uh, fighting for the, the vacant uh, WBC, which I think we already know who's probably going to be the the name that's going to be the only name that's probably going to be in the hat that's going to be drawn out, um, you know, for that, for the shot of the WBC vacancy, uh, you know. But anyways, let's move on. Hey, let me, let me ask you this, man. Yeah. So Gary Russell, talking about another very talented guy, fast hands, probably the fastest hands in, 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 the, in the boxing world at the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, anytime you talk about Gary Russell, you got to mention the hand speed that this guy brings every time he steps into the ring. Even when he's hitting the, the, the hand pads, this guy's just super quick, right? Mm-hmm. Fob, Fob once, a, once a year, 
was comfortable actually fighting once a year because when you corner him in an interview and then they ask him, okay, you're going to fight twice, three times. His response was always very clear, right? Which was probably not. I'm going to probably hold off, you know? Yeah. But now, I mean, since we've been in quarantine, I mean, has this guy been watching the paint run down a little too much on the wall? Because now he's calling everybody and their mother out, and now he's calling out Crawford, and he told Al Heyman. He reported himself on his Twitter account that he told Al Heyman to make an offer to Terrence Crawford to make it happen. Now, if it doesn't happen, you know why. Basically saying Crawford is ducking him. What am I missing here, Milkar? Apparently they have some beef that dates back to when they were amateurs fighting for the U.S. Olympic national team. And there was like a big dispute at a training camp that led to a fist fight. It might have something to do with that, but I I mean, if you're asking me what I think about that fight, I think it's a one-sided mismatch in Crawford's favor. I mean, as much as I like Gary Russell Jr. and respect his skills, you know, he's a featherweight and – uh, at this point, Crawford is a uh, a welterweight, you know. he A welterweight that hasn't exactly proved himself to a welterweight, but a welterweight nonetheless. Honestly, if I was Gary Russell and I was so confident in my skills, I'd be chasing a Lomachenko rematch. I mean, that's the <laughs> one blemish on his record. I mean, I'd be chasing everybody, you know, that's in my division, you know. Yeah. And uh, Nato put out there, he said, Yes. Uh, who's the bigger disappointment in boxing right now, Gary Russell or Terrence, Terrence Crawford? I'm gonna go with Gary Russell. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, I don't know. You didn't I like mean, the Niambar fight? Wasn't it Niambar? I forget how to pronounce the gentleman's name. Tug. Yeah, I, I mean, that, I thought that was gonna be. Um, I, I thought that was going to be a much tougher fight, and it, it wasn't very much. I mean, he it was a pretty much a shutout on his side for Gary, you know. But, but I mean, career-wise, I think Crawford is is the guy that's not a disappointment yet because the fact that there are good potential fights out there. I think the disappointment would be if he did accept a Gary. I mean, I don't know about how would you guys feel, but if he accepted a Gary Russell fight. I'd be like, oh, dude, what, what the, what the, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I, you got to start questioning whether or not he's just trying to cash out, or, I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous proposition. Um, you know, he hasn't. I mean, he's been impressive. He hasn't like been a superhuman kind of dominant guy in his weight class. Like, let's say in, in a way, you're like, okay, he can move up because he's got, you know, one punch vicious knocking, knockout power. Uh, you know, he outclasses his opponents. Um, but you also have to look at his opponents. I, I think Jojo Diaz would give him a good fight in a rematch if, if, they ever, if, they, if they ever got back and fought. But, you know, um, yeah, I mean, he, he called out Tank Davis. Uh, if it was earlier this year or later last year, I'd, that would be more competitive. But Crawford, I mean, that I I really don't know what's going on there. I, I, yeah, I agree with you. The whole Tank Davis would be a more realistic thing. 
I don't know. I don't know how real the, the Gary Russell and him telling Al Heyman, uh, you know, get me in there with Crawford. Is it, it may be trying to create noise. Is this a publicity? I don't know. Who knows, right? But, um, okay, let's go. Let's move on from that. Because I, I don't think we're going to figure that one out, man. That's still going to be a puzzle it, 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 in my eyes, you know. I'm still waiting for Crawford to announce who he's going to face next. What's going to happen there? Is he going to cross the street? Um, like I said, Bob obviously has the the game plan for him for the for the for the duration of his career. So we don't know what's going to go on, go on there. But I tell you what, did Bob do that I really really like? And I was at, in the beginning, I was scared. I didn't think this was going to happen. Um, I was like, yeah, we might not see this fight. You know, these two fighters end up stepping in the ring, but it was announced that everything was worked out. Lomachenko and Tofimo Lopez agreed to step in on October 17th. And it's not going to be on pay-per-view. It's going to be on ESPN, which is a great move. I think it's a phenomenal move on their end. You know, and, and it just explains and tells you how important that, that I mean, how, how much Bob understands the landscape of what's going on right now and how he can capitalize. Just because the fact, too, I think you got to kind of add this. Showtime came out with their schedule, and they came out immediately what they were doing with some of the pay-per-view fights. They're going to have what? Uh, I believe it's two, no, three, right? Three fights going to be on pay-per-view. And I think top rank of Bob Aaron are like, do we really want to compete with that where people are going to have to decide and we may not generate the amount of viewership and money that we're hoping? Should we just go on the free platform? That probably would be the best move, and it is the best move. I'm excited about this fight. We got two guys that have been chasing it. Well, you have one guy that was chasing the champion and finally got underneath the skin of the older guy, and the older guy said, that's it. I'm done. I want to jack this dude up. I want to prove to him I'm the best in the world. You're the upcomer. You're the Michael Grant of the division, and I'm the Lennox Lewis. This is a great fight. Amilcar, are you excited as, as much as I am about this fight? Yeah, I'm excited. Uh one, because I've been waiting a long time for this fight. Two, because, let's be honest, we've kind of been starved for big, high-level fights all year thanks to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. So, yeah. Right. I mean, you've got the young, up-and-coming, you know, super confident, flashy, uh, very skilled uh, Teofimo Lopez taking on, you know, a two-time Olympic gold medalist who won his first world title very on very early on and nothing short of dominant um, as a fighter. So it's going to be, you know, a, a highly contested fight. Um, and it's one fight where, you know, a couple scenarios are possible. Like, you know, obviously Lomachenko's been dropped. We saw Linares do that. I was live at the fight here in New York when it happened. And we've seen Teofimo Lopez knock people out brutally, but then at the same time, we've also seen Teofimo Lopez struggle with boxers, and we've seen um, Lomachenko really dominate guys with his boxing skills um, more than his power or anything else. So, it, you could see a total outlasting performance. It's the reason why we watch the fights is for fights like this. Absolutely, man. I mean, look, this is what I like. Boxing is always prime for prime. When you get two fighters in their prime, it makes it kind of extra special. 
when you get a upcomer facing a a guy that's kind of been keen of the heel for quite some time and a very dominant champion, you know, and the other upcomer got a, an eraser, it makes it even a bigger fight, you know. Yeah. Um, I know some people want to see the change of guard. Lomachenko, you know, has been on some kind of edgy fights where he, he – Especially against Lenaris. Lenaris was having very, some success. He hurt Lomachenko. He almost looked like he had Lomachenko out of there. But Lomachenko dug deep, came back, got up, and came back stronger. And he stopped Lenaris. Okay? And a, and a fight that a lot of folks said Lenaris wasn't going to last three or four rounds because he's always been kind of chinny. That's what they've been, that's, that, that was kind of the tale of the story. He was going to face the old guy in Norris who has been knocked out and kind of chinny. But they didn't look at the duration of time that Lenaris hadn't been stopped. So you had a really strong Lenaris get in there and, and, and gave everything, left it in the ring against Lomachenko. Take yeah. nothing away from Lomachenko, though, right? I mean, because that's where folks right now are giving Teofimo Lopez the, the edge of stepping in the ring in October is that Lomachenko's been hurt and he was hurt by an older champion. So imagine what the younger lion's going to do to a long tooth champion. The story looks great. And to me, it's still a very, it's a, it's a very pick em fight in my opinion. Omokar. I'm not close to who I'm picking yet because I think I'm on the fence on this one. Um, I think the closer we get to it, the more, I, I would tell you where I'm going to sway. Um, I like, I, you know, I, you know, I listen to Hispanics causing panic every week on, on, on Wednesday night. And it goes on to our, our, our leaving the ring feed. And I like when, what G funk says um, about why he's picking Lopez. He makes a lot of good points, but at the same time, those points may be too, a bit too early. You know, the power, the youth, all of that can be used against you. And Lomachenko is one of those fighters that can turn some of your best traits against you. And that's why, to me, this is a much more interesting fight because it could quickly become a chess match or a a, a checkers match. No, and you're absolutely right. And it was only a couple fights ago where people were questioning Teofimo Lopez after the uh, Masayoshi Nakatina fight or Nakatini, sorry, or sorry Nakatani. I've been right, seeing a red yeah. in a while. Nakatani, sorry about that, uh, Masayoshi. But um, you know, we were we were questioning his ability to, to deal with a, a high level boxer, and then in the very next fight, he fought Richard Comey, who's a, a good boxer, but also a got a sensational KO. Uh, Vasily Lomachenko is not a pressure fighter that comes forward and leaves himself open. That's not his, his style. And I was most impressed, honestly, by his win over Luke Campbell because Luke Campbell brought it. Um, Luke Campbell's probably one of the most unluckiest guys in boxing right now uh, just off of the fact that, you know, his losses were um, – really the high-level guys. I think kind of the uh, Mendy fight was a blip on the radar, but definitely the Lenares fight could have gone his way. Uh, and the Lomachenko fight, even though it was a 
unanimous decision was very, very close. But Lomachenko did a good job that he went into the U.K. He fought a guy that's bigger than him, uh, who I believe is younger than him um, by a little bit, um, or maybe they're around the same age, and uh, who's a southpaw. southpaw. And he uh, dealt with him very effectively. I don't see Teofimo Lopez's boxing given the fact that uh, Lomachenko's fought so many styles as an amateur and pro, uh, giving Lomachenko much of a difficulty. I think the challenge for Lomachenko is to not get to people's explosive punch range. And, and we'll see if he can do Yeah, you know, I think I lost your uh, mill car. No, I'm here. Oh, okay. Give me a second here. Um, yeah, I mean, there's. I, I think there's so many variables against Lomachenko and 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 Lopez, is that there's there's no question that whoever you're going to pick is you're going to have some definitely some strong points. I think it's not a very uh it's not very predictable this fight, you know. Um because of what both guys bring to the table. The Japanese fighter in my opinion, it's it, now when I look at it, I mean there's there's obviously things you can point out that didn't work for Lopez where he struggled, but the only thing that I could say about that fighter that he faced, the Japanese kid is the height. Lomachenko doesn't have that. So this is no, by far smaller. Yeah, he's smaller. So to me, it's by far a little bit more different where I thought Lopez was struggling with the height. That could have definitely been something that, that was a little uh, surprising for him and he needed to adjust to. And, you know, he never stopped in that fight. He never stopped. But the closer this fight gets, I'm going to have a lot more to talk about. Uh, we definitely want to break it down and then we'll have our prediction. But I thought it was a great announcement for top rank, for Lomachenko and for Lopez that it's happening in October. If the COVID doesn't knock it down and keep it out of the ring, this that should be just a great night in October. Um, let me uh, uh, let me move on really quick. Andrew Ruiz is talking about returning to the ring, and the name that keeps popping up, and they're saying that it's more and likely this is going to be the guy that's going to be across him uh, the day that he debuts back for PBC and Al Heyman for Andy Ruiz is going to be Kristen Nightmare Oriella. I don't know about you guys. I don't know how I feel about that. Amilcar, how do you feel about it? I definitely see why they're doing the fight. Um, I mean, they're two Chicanos that are kind of known for being overweight uh, from Southern California. So it's kind of a natural pairing in that sense. Um, but honestly, I've seen enough of Chris Ariola personally. And I'm not saying this to be mean, but I, I really think that he needs to think about other, thing, other things other than boxing. Um, the fight that he had here in Brooklyn, in New York City, against uh, Adam Konaki was, was a vicious fight. And it's not the kind of fight that I think guys like him have a lot of. Uh, you know, he shouldn't be engaging in those types of, of fights moving forward if he thinks that he's going to have much of a, of a, of a good life after boxing. I, I, I like to see guys retire from the sport with all their faculties intact and able to, 
you know, be with their families and their kids. And I, as much as I like Chris Ariola, he does get into those kind of exchanges. And I see that kind of a fight happening if he, if he fights Andy Ruiz, um, you know, a lot of inside fighting, a lot of clean head shots, a lot of head letting the hands go because he's a tough guy um, that can take a good shot and who's going to do as best as he can to, to last until the last bell. And, um, you know, uh, it's definitely going to be fun from a fan's perspective if you remove all those things from your mind. But I, I, I like Chris Ariola. I I remember when he, he got into the ring and, and um, you know, swore about was it Don King that he did he swore about I forget who it was now that, but it, you know, he's just all, always been a very upfront and honest guy who's given everything he's got in the ring and I, you know it, unless he really needs the money I, I it's not a fight that I that I would want to see for those reasons you know here's my thing Chris Oriella yeah. is like a Miracon he's never been in a bad fight the yeah. Chris just didn't have that that chin that Khan has, you know. So there's not that scary moment. His last outing for Chris was a great outing. Um, he fought his ass off. He definitely fought his right to have another TV date. Is it the smartest thing because you want your fighters to walk away with all their bearings? No. I think Chris's better days have gone in the past. I agree with you. There's more on the other side of the fence of – of boxing that could be greener for him at the moment. But here you have a guy that's fought his whole life. And like most fighters, this is all they know. You know, yeah. they don't have that retirement. They don't get like gold watches, like Steve Kim says, um, waiting for them. They basically fight in the wild West and they're gunslingers. And it's very difficult for them to put it away in some type of box and then bury it. Because of the fact that this is the only way they know how to make money. Nobody has kind of shown them that there's other traits and other things that they can do with their lives. Is it a sellable fight in Southern California? Absolutely. I think it's going to be huge. I think it's going to do great numbers. Because of the fact that like you mentioned, you have two Chicanos, two Mexicanos. They're going to show up and they're going to fight. What do I see? Andy Ruiz being the victor in this fight if he doesn't come, sh- uh, if he doesn't show up in shape, because Chris, regardless, Chris has always been known as the fat guy. But let's be honest here, the fat guy that never gasses out. He's never performed yeah. like Andy Ruiz. The way Andy Ruiz performed against AJ, Chris has never shown that or done that in his career. He's always came yeah. the fight. He fought the Kelly Calisco. He came and he fought his ass off, but they were having trouble in camp. Camp. Like, he wasn't showing up. They couldn't find him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I've always said this about Chris the Nightmare. He has always been the Riddick Bowe of this era of boxing, a guy that just wasn't, you know, too really serious. Two guys, you have two guys that have discipline problems. The one thing is, though, is Chris is like Benavides. can come in overweight, not make weight, but he's going to let his hands go. And it's very rare you see him gasping for air or slowing down. Andrew Ruiz has shown that if he's not serious. If he doesn't take Chris serious, we may see another upset, and we may see the end of Andy Ruiz. And anyways, in any talks of him ever getting back into the championship contingency. Yeah. I mean, if, if 
Andy Ruiz wants to get back to where he was. He's got to really get through guys like Steve, uh, Chris Ariola, and he's got to do it spectacularly. I mean, Chris is almost 40 years old now and, you know, hasn't really fought at the top level since the Wilder fight, which was what? I think it was about four years ago. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, so he's he's clearly kind of a championship-level gatekeeper at this point. Um, I just hope that he, you know, is taking care of himself and, uh, you know, it, it, that he has more of these fights left in him. I, I honestly hope he does. I believe I hope so, and I think it's it's going to be a great night. I expect it to be a short night. I think that Andy can pull off a sixth, seventh round stoppage if he comes prepared and trained. I'm not sure if he's going to do that because it's going to be hard to get up for a Chris the nightmare because he may look at his easy work. It will be his bad because, like I said, we haven't seen Chris the nightmare in a bad fight, and we haven't seen a Chris the nightmare gas out and fold. The guy's been a true professional showing up on fight night. Anyways, hey yeah, man, let's get not, to the He's not Eric Molina. He's not Eric Molina. No, by far. He's no Eric Molina. You know, uh, uh, the criticism is that, that Chris doesn't have the chisel body that, that so many of us would want, like an AJ. You know, he's got that body of a heavyweight. He looks like a heavyweight. Walks around looking like a heavyweight. Chris has never had that. But he throws his hand like a freaking lightweight cruiserweight. And that could cause a lot of problems for Andy, who is quick and also could throw combinations. But his is more in spurts. Chris the Nightmare is a working horse, but he may be an old, old racing horse, horse. But could he could he become the Sea Biscuit of the heavyweights? I'm not sure. It's a good run if he does that against Andy Andy Ruiz. It's just going to be very tough. There are some pockets there that he could fill. Chris the Nightmare against Andy Ruiz if Andy doesn't show up for the fight. Anyways. What's, let's, let's talk about the up, upcoming schedule here for this weekend, uh, Emil Carr. Can you pull that up, read it off, see what we got going on? Yeah, if you uh, just give me one moment, David, I'll, uh, I'll bring it up in a moment. Just give me 30 seconds or less than that. But, I mean, while I do that, the fight that I'm most looking forward to, obviously, is the uh, white uh, Pazetkin fight. Yeah. And um, we might as well just start off with that one first because – just like we've been saying with with Chris Ariola, I have never seen uh, Alexander Povetkin in a bad fight. And yes. um, honestly, up until the last fight, I could have said the same for, for Dillian White as well, but he came in so overweight for that fight in, uh, in, uh, in Saudi Arabia against, I think it was Christian Hammer, right? So, you know, yeah. it... it, it this is this is guaranteed to be a really a really good fight. So it's taking place um, this Saturday uh, in Brentwood on six Mansion that uh, uh, Eddie Hearn and Matchroom Boxing own, and it's taking place for White's WBC interim title. And there's a lot on the line here because this is not any kind of a mandatory fight that White is having to make. And by taking this fight, he's losing or he's risking losing the mandatory spot that he has to fight the winner of Fury and Wilder. So it's it's a risky fight. Um, you know, Dillian, as far as I can tell, is his left hook. There are few people in the heavyweight division that throw a, a meaner, crisper, shorter hook 
than than Alexander Povetkin. So if they trade hooks, I'm very, very interested in, in seeing what, what happens. Uh, what about you? I think so, too. I think with, there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot on the line. White definitely needs to come in shape. He can't come in the way he looked on the undercard of AJ and Ruiz. Can't do that. Um, Povetkin is going to come in shape. And Povetkin, like you mentioned, Povetkin, we've never seen him in a bad fight. He's going to make it a very tough fight. Um, whether White goes in there believing the victory is already won, I hope he doesn't do that because there's already talks of AJ and White happening, uh, you know, if White is victorious. You know, because the fact is, he can't look past Povetkin. There's no way you can look past that guy. That guy's going to show up, and that guy's going to fight him for tooth and nail to get that win. Um, If I'm Povetkin, I'm going to go to the body if it looks soft. That's what I'm going to work at, you know. Uh, White is not – he's not a guy that's going to fight you at the distance. He's going to fight you, you know. So it's not not like it's unheard of. You can't touch that body. You just got to be worried about what's going to come at you because you're going to leave yourself open for White to land those hooks that he likes to throw. So to me, it's a very interesting fight. Uh, I'm going to go with if White comes in shape, it's his. But if he doesn't and he shows some lack of discipline because we've seen that with him in the past, okay, as we mentioned with Andy Ruiz and Chris the Nightmare, White is in those categories himself that he sometimes shows that he's not disciplined. He can come in a bit overweight, balloon, if, if you want to call that. He, looks like, he comes in looking like a balloon. Where Povetkin doesn't do that. He's going to come in in shape, and he's going to want to bang, and he's going to want to take away any opportunities that White is hoping to happen on the long run. But I will go with White if he's in shape. What about you, Milkar? Yeah, uh, quick correction. I made a mistake earlier. It was Marius Wach, um, similar level European fighter. Uh, I'm going to have to wait until I see see the weigh-in like you, David, because – I was actually blown away by how out of shape and heavy Dillian White was for his last fight. And um, Povetkin usually shows up uh, fit and, and ready to ready to bang. He usually uh, has his camps out in like a secluded part of Russia. Um, and, um, you know, I saw a training video of what he does out there. It's, it's, he's a dedicated athlete. There's no doubt about that. The only thing with him is he's over 40 at this point, and he's definitely on the other side of his prime. Um, right. But White should win, but it's like you said, he's got to be, he's got to be in shape, in shape for the fight. And uh, like I said, he also has a lot on the line. So you know, what's interesting about this fight too, Amilcar, is that Povetkin is in, in, in activity, White in activity. So they're really yeah. on, on, on really level playing field, you know. Yeah. One guy really didn't have the upper hand, you know. But the thing with Povetkin is what he's got to look at is the soft spots that, that how White looked. And that's yeah. where if I was in his corner and on his team, I would immediately tell them, hey, uh, Povetkin, I would immediately tell Povetkin, hey, test the body. Test Let's the body. see how in shape he is. Let's see if he can run into the 12th round. Let's see if he can, we can bring him into the deep end, if he can last. You know, and that's the thing that I would honestly have Povetkin test out and go after because in Povetkin's career, we've never seen that. We've never seen him out of shape, and we've never seen him in a bad fight. With White, no. we have. 
So that right there is up in the air, and that's something that can definitely be tested. So that's what I would like to look for. But at the same time, White is a very – Dillian White's a very crafty fighter. He's not a dumb guy, you know? He's got a great jab. Yep, he's got a great jab. And I think that if he's out of shape and Povetkin does, you know, uh, uh, decide to come out with some pressure, I I tend to believe that White's going to fall into trying to box. You know, and keep him on the outside, and he's going to struggle, and and he may get a narrow win, a very narrow win, a questionable win, which would make AJ and his team jump for that match immediately. Because if White comes out and he looks spectacular, we may hear the end of talks of Dillian White and Anthony Joshua. We 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 just may. So, uh, in addition to that, we've also got um, uh, a card on ESPN this weekend. Um, between uh, Elida Alvarez and Joe Smith Jr. Um, wait, 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 you don't want to talk about Katie Taylor? No. no. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll go forward. I mean, I'll give you give... actually, actually, you know what? Wait a second. Yeah, I actually do want to talk about that fight. Why don't you get us started, started with that? Um, you know, because it, I, I, felt, I felt that she lost when she came here and fought in New York. And I felt. I do, uh, I do too. I, I thought I she felt, lost that I fight. felt the, the Belgian fighter, the cop from Belgium, was really was really robbed in that fight. So yeah, I, I actually do want to discuss that. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, if you, if like I said, loosely the word robbery, you know, I, I don't like putting. A I felt that on, was a robbery. I was a robbery. I believe that was absolutely a robbery. I thought um, the first fight, yeah, not the first fight was the first fight was great. I thought Person Persoon came out. I thought that she. Looked like a female version of Margarito. Went out there, banged the shit out out of Kate, Katie Taylor. You know, out hustled her, out muscled her. You know, but I give kudos to Taylor because, you know, she went out there and she stood her ground. But to me, she just couldn't win those rounds. For her to take on this rematch, which Roly, take note. This is what you need to do to go back in the ring with the rematch with with Pursun, it's great because it only tells me how much that she believes she needs a much more clear decision win or stoppage over supposedly her first, you know, the woman that should have got the win, the conqueror. You know, I think it's a great matchup. Now, if Taylor doesn't make any adjustments, she's going to lose this rematch again and possibly even stopped because she looked like she was on the verge of being stopped. If these were three-minute rounds, a milk car, could you disagree with me? I think she might have got. She might have very well got stopped. Um, the the thing with me with Katie Teller too is uh, I wasn't really impressed with her that much in the fight that she had after that versus the the Greek fighter. Right. I don't know if you saw it, but I, she just didn't really seem that impressive to me. Um, I haven't seen uh, I haven't seen anything uh, from. Um, from her opponent in in the in the last fight, but you know what, she's got to be motivated uh, going into this uh, pursuit. That is, so I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I I was very disappointed in what happened uh, in the last fight, um, mostly because I felt that the the Belgian fighter was really done hard. But you know, we'll see what happens. My main problem overall with women's boxing is is less fights like this and more just like the mismatches generally. That and the two-minute rounds as well. I just 
don't feel that the right. division in the sport is very deep with talent. So you often end up with a mismatches. But this is actually a fight that I think is very, very competitive. Right. I mean, I'd like to talk about the the Saturday DAZN card with the female fighter. Uh, there was an upset there, but I didn't watch it. And I'm going to tell you why I didn't watch it, because I'm not a paid DAZN. They're still taking yeah, money I, out yeah, of my I, I, didn't, I didn't watch yeah. it either for the same reason. I, I don't have a reason it. right now, unfortunately, to subscribe to DAZN. Yeah, my reason now to pay the 100 bucks that they're asking me for, you know, even though they're, already, they're charging me still, would be for this card that's coming up. I'm, I'm probably going to have to do what Nado and a few other guys that told me, you know, suck it up and pay for it and, and watch it. You know, I'm going to have to weekend, do that. For this weekend, <laughs> not for last weekend. Sorry yeah, about this, that. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. For this weekend, I'm going to have to suck it up and just pay 100 bucks and do it and then, and then probably try to get my money back. For the past, since March, they've been taking it out of my account, you know, uh, money. When wow, I had, really? uh, yeah, I canceled it with them, and they, they still keep doing it. They're getting a hold of these bastards. No, it, anyway, it, I guarantee you that's, that's done on purpose, too. They probably oh, dude, figured that, you know, eight out of ten people won't notice, yeah. and, uh, you know, it's, you, you can't you're, trust you're these companies. A lot of I see a lot of people on Twitter mention it. Anytime I mention it, they'll say it, it's happened to me. I know Kurt. You know, from uh, uh, Boston Esquire, they were doing it to him. I don't know if they're doing it anymore, but they were doing it to him. But anyways, wow. I, I like I said, the rematch between Taylor and, and Person, great rematch. I can't wait for it. Uh, it even makes the heavyweight uh, headliner even that, much, that, even that much more exciting. Um, hey, let's move on. Let's go on with the schedule. Yeah, so um, later, later on that evening, because obviously the U.K. card is going to take place uh, earlier in the day, in the afternoon, we have uh, Elider Alvarez versus Joe Smith Jr. And um, I'm actually pretty excited for that. It's going to be on ESPN. We're talking about two bangers. Uh, Elider Alvarez honestly put up the one of the more disappointing performances uh, in a fight where I thought he could have really, you know, changed changed his life and the the, the way people view him as a boxer in the Kovalev rematch. I just didn't for the life of me understand why he didn't do what he did in the first fight and go to the body. Um, it almost felt like he was fighting as if he could knock out Kovalev at any time, and then the 12th round came and he hadn't done it, and that was the end of the fight. That's what I remember most about Alvarez, um, the, the Colombian who now fights out of Montreal. Joe Smith is obviously most known for his uh, brutal, vicious KO of uh, – Bernard Hopkins, when Hopkins claimed he was thrown out of the ring and not actually hit with a punch. Um, right. So, you know, you've got two heavy-handed guys with come-forward styles. I think it's going to be very interesting. What about you? I think it's interesting because Smith is a guy that's going to come forward. Alvarez is a counterpuncher. Alvarez is actually kind of a um, – he likes to sit back and wait. He likes to let you think that you have the upper hand and you're getting the fight. Um, you know, he did that with Kovala and was able to beat Kovala the rematch when Kovala just made a, a, an adjustment in their, I mean, in the first match, Alvarez, he sat back and he, I've seen him do it numerous times. He sits back, he waits for the guy to commit and then he decides to let his hand or his counterpunch and his counterpunch always gets to sneak in and gets the stoppage. Uh, he did it with Kovala. In the rematch, though, Kovala came out there, adjusted, and made it hard for Alvarez to do the same thing that he had done the first time around. Um, 
I could see him trying to do that with Smith. The only difference is that with Kovalo, he was kind of getting the tail end of who Kovalo was. Smith, in my opinion, still is a guy who got a, left, a lot left in the tank, you know, and possibly wants to make a statement by stopping Alvarez. I think the workmanship of, Alvar, of, of, of Smith um, is going to be probably the more uh, telling because he's going to be breaking down Alvarez. To me, Alvarez's style and his game plans of sitting back and waiting for that perfect moment is all wrong against Smith. Smith is too heavy-handed to do that. I just don't see that happening. Um, I think that Alvarez is going to have to come out of his shell and use the jab and come forward himself, which he normally doesn't like to do. Like I said, he likes to sit back. He likes to let you do your work, and then he's going to look for that opening. He's going to catch you when you least suspect it because you kind of let your guard, guard down, believing that you have the upper hand and you're getting the win, you're, getting, you're winning the round, and you're beating them. This is kind of like – it's almost like in the belief of – this is easy in that sense, and that's where he gets you. That's a gotcha moment that he always gets his, his opponents. I don't see that happening with Smith. And I think with Alvarez, he's getting a little bit up there in age, and how much can your body endure in that style? I'm not quite sure. So I'm looking for Smith to stop him in mid-rounds. That's a bold prediction. Um, Alvarez is pretty tough, and uh, Definitely at the high level, he does implement that style. I just hope he doesn't try to do that um, this time because Joe Smith is relentless and he comes forward. Right. And, you know, he believes in his power and he fights hard the entire fight. I mean, he's not the kind of guy that gives up uh, very easily. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's it's he's going to be playing with fire if he implements a strategy like that. He's going to have to set up his shots. And let his hands go. Right. Um, and, yeah, you're right. I don't know if he's willing to do that, you know. It's interesting because that style is actually kind of what uh, John Pascal, who also is from Montreal, although he's originally from Haiti, um, implements a lot in his fights. He kind of sits back. But what he does, though, is that every now and again he mixes it up and throws in, like, awkward, wild punches and, you know, shoots straight right hands. Alvarez doesn't hmm. really do that. Um, so the, the attack, attack is, is much more predictable uh, from a counter-punching standpoint. So, I, well, you know, I'll you're point absolutely... this out, though. I'll point this yeah. out, though. Um, Pascal, though, is explosive. Alvarez is not that explosive. Exactly. That's my point. He's very explosive, yeah. and, he, and he throws shots uh, when people are, are least expecting them and from wide angles. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a style that works for... for, for uh, for Jean Pascal, you know, um, but it's not one that's necessarily going to work for, for for Alvarez. And I believe they have the same trainer as well. I think Mark Ramsey trains both of them, um, right. Pascal and, and Alvarez. So, yeah, it's you know, it's it's tough because I do have a kind of a, I do kind of like Al, Alvarez, but uh, you're right. If he implements that that strategy, I don't see it going very well for him. No. He's going to have to show no. us something. He's only showed us against lower-level competition when he's a little bit more aggressive. Exactly. What else yeah. have you got on that? Um, yeah, so we've also – well, there are some other fights. I don't know if anyone who's listening has, has UFC fight pass. I don't. 
Uh, there's a fight between Vladimir Shishkin and Ox- Oscar uh, Riojas. I know nothing about it. It's apparently taking place in the Kronk Gym in Detroit, so that's pretty interesting. But the main fight that, other than the ones we've discussed already, that people are probably looking for is the Sean Porter-Sebastian uh, Formella fight. Um, I don't know. It's, to me, it just seems like a showcase fight for, for Sean Porter. What are your thoughts? I got to agree with you, man. I think it's a, a straight-up uh, showcase fight, which I'm fine with. I mean, I know people are shitting on it. It's not a very great fight. It isn't, you know, but, I mean, look at Sean Porter's resume. It's the deepest. Out of anybody in the rosters of welterweights, Sean Porter stands out the most. You know, yeah. he's fought moves and what's it in that division, you know, and uh, for him to sit back and say, you know, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to fight this other kind of French contender out there as a showcase to keep me as a, as a, as a busy um, yeah. and finish out the year for 2000, 2020. Why not? And I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not disappointed about it because I mean, you go from Errol Spence, he tried to get Crawford. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so what? What is he supposed to do? Kind of write well, out the I, whole I argue, year. I would, I, I would argue that he should get Bugas a rematch, but uh, I'm a little biased to me, Edmanos uh, Caribeños. Having said that, you know, this kid Formella is the IBO world champion, so I guess we'll figure out how well the uh, IBO's computer boxing ranking system works and whether this guy's the goods or whether he's just another opponent being brought in from Germany. I think all his fights have taken place in Germany. Most of them have taken place against guys I've never heard of. We won't follow the sport very closely. Um, so, I mean, he seems to be a guy that's probably more on, like, the European title level, and he's coming out and fa- facing a, a, a little uh, ex-world champ. Um, so we'll see. You know, Porter's definitely going to prove, trying to prove himself after the loss to, to uh, the questionable um, loss. Yeah, questionable loss, exactly. Questionable loss. Here, here's the way, yeah. the worst case scenario for Sean Porter. He doesn't mm-hmm. show up for the fight, meaning that he didn't take this fight very serious uh, because he's pretty hungry. Uh, when we saw him get again with Porter against, I mean, uh, against uh, um, Thurman and Errol Spence, et cetera, uh, he may go out there and allow this guy to be in the fight. Or he just goes out there and mauls him up and does exactly what a lot of us have been thinking. You know, he's going to go out there and just outclass this guy because this guy's not on the same level. Or Porter can go, I'm going to give it, in, I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give it some rounds and I'm going to be criticized. And everybody's going to come down on me, and they're going to say, oh, this is the reason why, blah, 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 and that will be the talk. I don't think that would happen because Porter is such a prideful guy. You know, um, you know, I think he's a true professional, and I think that he's really looking for another, maybe a rematch with Errol Spence, uh, definitely a fight with Crawford. Ugas is out of the picture. I, I, I don't need, I never even heard him talk about Ugas ever again. You know? Um, maybe 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 he would say I want I want Cal Brook is how Cal Brook is so bad now. You know, redeem yeah. himself from that rematch. I mean that's a big possibility. 
down the line. But other than that, yeah, I would be I, calling I, for that if I was him. Yeah, yeah, I, I would too. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're not going to get Crawford, you're not going to get uh, Spence again. You know, or the winner of Spence and Gar- Garcia. Um, why not go for, for you know Cal Brook? End your career with that, you know. And then if you're going to get, I mean, I, don't, I just don't see, I just don't see him doing that, you know, at all. I mean, I, I think, I think everybody is staying clear of that kid at this moment. You know, Ugas is yeah. going to have to do what Porter did, really, is start using that mouthpiece, start showing up at the fights, um, making a lot of ruckus, making it uncomfortable and unavoidable for these other guys to then finally just face it because the fans will be behind Ugas. Because here's the truth, is that we know how good Ugas is, but his fan base is very slim. And Porter yeah, works I mean, at that fan base. probably mostly still in the body of Cuba. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's got, he's, got to follow, he's got to follow the yellow brick road of Porter. You know, he's just got to do that. I mean, if he's going to want these bigger fights, He's going to have to let loose. And, uh, you know, we know you're good. We know, you, you, you're, you know you're talented, but, but you've got to create a certain buzz. You know, you've got to be your own PR guy. And that's what Porter finally understood. You remember Porter was trying to be like Andre Ward and, you know, Mr. Nice Guy, uh, you know, Big Smile and, you know, Mr. Conservative and like, oh, no, you know, I'm not going to say bad about anybody else out there, you know, hee hee, ha ha. And then finally said, fuck it. You know what? I'm not getting these fights. You know, so I, I got to make Uncle Al notice me because they're treating me like the stepchild here. Ugas right now is in that shadow of what Porter decided to walk away from. So Ugas has got to stop being the stepchild at the PBC world and start shaking up the leaves so that he can take get some notice and get these fights. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is just his allegiance to Al Heyman and you know, he's from a, a Caribbean country whose his life has been changed by coming to the United States. I mean, um, what we consider poverty here in the United States is not at all comparable right. to the poverty that, of people living in countries like Cuba, Jamaica, the Dominican Republic, et cetera. And he's probably just willing to fight when Al asks him to fight against who Al asks him to fight against. But um, I felt he beat Porter. Um, as I know a lot of others did, and I, I've always thought that Porter should should go after that rematch, and I've also always thought that Porter should try to avenge his loss against Kell Brook, but um, he hasn't really been interested in doing either of those things. So, um, yeah, but in, in terms of Sebastian Formella, um, the uh, I think he's Italian German. I, I don't I don't. Uh, Think he's going to be much of a of, of a of a challenge to um, Sean Porter. And then lastly, and this is kind of crazy because I'm going to ask you if you followed this this kid's career at all. But I was a huge fan of his father. Uh, his father was one of my favorite fighters when I was growing up. I'm talking about Tim Zhu, uh, Costa Zhu's son. He's actually fighting Jeff Horn uh, on ESPN, and right. uh, it's it's taking place in, in, in Australia, obviously, where they're both from. Um, and it's actually taking place at a stadium, so I guess they're having live events in right now. Have you seen much of Tim Zoo? Um, I've 
only seen highlights of him on YouTube. I actually haven't watched the full fight of this. He's not very good. I'll just point that out. I don't yeah. think I don't think Horn should have a problem with him. Um, yeah. You know, I know like a lot of people like to shit on Horn, but he's. I mean, he's he's a he's he's got this, he's got a similar style of, of, of Porter. You know, yeah. he will mow you up. Can Tim hold off Horn uh, aggress aggression? Can he hold off him pressing him forward, mauling him up like the Hatton style that he has? Um, his dad couldn't hold off Hatton, but his dad was really off the you know at the edge of his career at the time. So yeah, and, and the, the referee in that fight let Hatton get away with a lot of dirty fighting that you know, would have yeah. out, out out of Manchester. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know how good Tim Tazu is. And then what I saw, I don't think he's very good. I mean, I think the name – let me ask you this. And let me ask anybody, anybody out there right now is uh, name me one fighter that spawned from a great fighter that turned out to be even a fraction of what their father was. I, I, don't, I don't really – there's not really a name that comes off the top of my head. I can't head. think of a single one. Yeah, you know, so I don't expect Tim – I, is this a good matchup for him? I don't know because I haven't really seen anything that tells me he's ready for Horn. You know, I mean, Horn has kind of been tested. You know, he went out there and he, you know, did he lose against uh, 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 Pacquiao? I thought he did, but I also thought that he gave everything that Pacquiao can have. I mean, he forced Pacquiao to dig Great. deep in that it fight. Was super competitive fight. Super competitive fight. He got out there with Crawford. You know, Styles make fights. Crawford was yep. too much to handle because he just couldn't figure out. He couldn't get close to Crawford, you know. So, you know, riding off Horn uh, uh, and just saying he's not a, you know, you know that Tim Tzu should just walk through him. Will point out the significant fight that Tim Tzu has done that 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 backs up that argument. I don't know one of them. I can't name a single one. Layla Ali Brandon. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Leila Ali, that's not bad. Yeah, I think that's actually true. But, again, I mean, women's boxing, there just isn't any depth of, of competition and talent. It's like – She didn't fight anybody. She, she didn't – I mean, she no, avoided like you got one. You got one good person every three fucking weight divisions. That's that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, but, yeah, I mean, um, I'm, I'm actually curious about the fight, but, like I said – I don't, I, I mean, personally, what I've seen and what I, you know, what is much of Tim Tazu, I don't see yeah. anything that tells me that Horn should have a problem with. I think Horn is going to go out there and, and maul him up and, and, you know, it's going to be an ugly fight. And it's going to be up to the kid to dig. I think it's too early for this kid in his career to take somebody on like that. I, I think they need to, to groom him, you know, groom him to a point where, where, you know, he's like his man strength. Is it there? Do you think his man strength is there to hold off a guy that's a career welterweight that, that's going to go out there and his style is to be in your chest? I don't know. No, it's, it's interesting. What's amazing is that he looks so much like his dad. Yeah. It's, it's, does he, does he yeah. have his dad's right hand? I mean, no, I mean, even... But he, from what I've seen, he's nowhere near on his dad's level as a boxer. 
Nowhere. I mean, his dad was literally one of my favorite fighters when when uh, I was coming up as a, as a young man. And oh, obviously, yeah, I love, uh, dude, 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 I loved him. I thought, I mean, I mean, uh, when he when he came to the United States and did what he did against against uh, Zap Judah, who was expected to kind of walk through him. I remember at the time, and he was like the next big big thing coming from the U.S. and Tim. And I mean, he just made him do that dance, and then had him throwing chairs and stuff after the fight. Uh, it's just a moment I'm always going to remember from uh, from my youth. Exactly. And like Nato, uh, just point out, he is bigger than his dad because he is fighting in the in the welterweight division. But Horn goes well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, it's, it's going to be 154. Yeah, 154. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, like I said, I, I'm not too confident in Tim Tazu. If he yeah. if he does, I think it would be a great name on his resume. Um, um, but at the same time, ugh, I think this win should go to Horn. I think he's more experienced. I think that the the style that he brings is a very difficult style to get a, to, to to keep off. It's an exhausting style. When you got a guy that wants to box and wrestle at the same time and is comfortable grappling you and hitting you, roughing you up with your shoulders and everything, that's a difficult style to keep off if you don't have a solid jab and your footwork is not on point. It's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, so that's closing- it for, for, for the major fights uh, this weekend. I'm sure we'll get to... You know the Lenaris Fortuna fight and the Daniel Dubois um, fight and the Jose Ramirez Victor Posto fight and the Orlando Ara fight next week. I thought the Lenaris and uh, Fortuna fight is canceled because Lenaris caught COVID nineteen. Oh shit! Yeah, you're absolutely right. I yeah, forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. It caught yep. it out there in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. And Japan's been taking the crisis quite seriously, so it's interesting that he caught it out there. I'm sure he went there specifically to avoid that happening. See how things work out sometimes. Nato believes that uh, Tazu knocks out Horn, um, which I, I would be impressed if he does, to tell you the truth. I, I'd be I would very be impressed. Yeah. Especially at this stage in his career. If Tazu, let me tell you, let me ask you guys this: If Tim Tazu knocks out Horn, mm-hmm. what does that say about Crawford and the rest of the guys? Because it's not that far off. I mean, okay, well, <laughs> that's a great question. It's not that uh, far off. I, it's not. I think. I think what it tells you is what I've been saying all along, which is that he's totally unproven as a as a welterweight. <laughs> Shit! You imagine that you're Pacquiao and Crawford and Tim Tazu, who hasn't been proven anything, hasn't proven anything except for yeah. having a name, famous name, goes out there and knocks out a guy that you know uh, that where Pacquiao struggled with, end up losing to, yeah. and Crawford. It took him how many rounds? It, when it, they went into the late rounds before he can get a stoppage over over home. Yeah, and the, and the thing was, this is like all. Crawford has to stake his claim as like a legitimate welterweight. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because exactly. I'm sorry, but the rest of his fights at welterweight have not been impressive to me. No. You 
we had Bo Mack on the show, like friend of the show. I like the guy. He's probably one of the best guests we've ever had. But I, I don't think that he's proven himself as a as a welterweight. I don't think so either. I mean, well, they're not fighting the welterweight. They're going 154, and that tells you everything. You know? Yeah. That could affect it, Horn, at, at the welterweight division. So he might be stronger than 154. But, I mean, if Tazu, um, which, you know, I don't know. Like I said, it's, it's an interesting fight. We got to see what happens. Now, now that Nato, uh pointed out, pointed out that he's picking him, that even makes me want to watch it even more because that tells me, because Nato's an avid fan. It's not like he doesn't watch fucking fights. This guy watches No, 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 fights. he does. He's, he's, he watches he's fights. A, got so, a PhD. He no, he's going to knock him out. I, I, now, it's like Brian Fogg. You know, my boy Brian Fogg, who I talk to on a regular base, when Brian tells me something, I'm like, really? Like, he, he's like, I, there's only a, a certain amount of people that can change my mind about shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. In boxing. Yeah. And, and, and like, you and, and, and Brian are, are like the very small circle of, of, of boxing heads that I listen to and go like, huh, shit, that's actually a really good point. It fucks me all up. Because then now it really gets me thinking. Now they'll just dig yeah. that to me. Now I'm Dude, okay, now what have I been missing? Now I'm going to go back. Now, thanks a lot. Watch. I'm going to be staying up till like 3 in the fucking morning today, all because of you trying to find enough tape on Tim Tazoo to see whether or not he has that chance of knocking out Horn, which is going to be laughable if he does because now it kind of discredits anything, they any of the accomplishments that Crawford got over on him. Um, <laughs> he said, yeah. blame it on the alcohol. I know. I got to get me a beer. I'll start thinking like Nato too if I had two, like four beers in me already. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. no, um, but I mean, hey, I, I I wish the kid all the best. Like I said, I was a huge fan of his father. Yeah, um, it, wouldn't it be awesome? Yeah, it would be great. So, and, and you know, if he's any good, I mean, there's a lot of guys at 154, um, and guys that could move up from from 147. Uh, I, I'd like to see him against here in the U.S. if he's any good. Who's there at 154? Off the top of my head, I can't even think of anybody. At 154. Well, we got, we got, uh, we've got the uh, Jermel Charlo. Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, he's not ready for that. Right. No, he's, he's, he's not. But, uh, but it also, it's a good start. It's a good name on your resume, especially if you knock him out. Knock yeah. him out, that, that's a great start to now bring him into the States because they can use that as a highlight that he because you could use He's that as be on right exactly J Rock oh yeah he's got J Rock yeah um, you Which know Virgil J-Rock? Ortiz is Virgil Ortiz Jr. is around the division you know they've got a similar number of fights um there's 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 I mean there's definitely more out here for him than there is in than Australia. I mean, how many times can you fight Anthony Mundine and, and Jeff Horn? At some point, you're going to have to yeah. leave Australia and find other people to fight. Well, a great way is going on ESPN. And a great way is by knocking out Horn, you know, Horn because you could be – now you're in the place of Crawford, you know. They can use that. Absolutely. That's the leverage right there. Yeah, absolutely. So it's another thing to watch, and guess what? Wednesday – um, I'm not really going to be doing anything else. Schools aren't open yet, so of course I'm going to be watching boxing. 
Yep. All day. Every day. You know. Anyway, folks, man, I thank everybody that came on and tuned in and listened to us here on Leaving the Ring. We're at our last seconds here left on the show. It was all, it's always fun. I'm glad we got back here on Monday. Apologize for last week. Uh, you know, uh, Mokar was on vacation. He was in Cancun. You don't know. Yeah. In Cancun. I'm going gonna, um, gonna to tell you all about that uh, when I give you a call. <laughs> yeah. I've got some interesting <laughs> stories from that. Well, there you go. As always, everybody, don't drink and drive because you will spill your beer. You guys have a great night.